0: Hello, and welcome to In Her Room, women writers on life, craft, and changing the world. I'm your host, Sarah Blackthorne. This week's guest on In Her Room is Gemma
1: Stone. Choosing love isn't always easy, but Gemma Stone, a coach, therapist, and generous
0: friend, makes the choice to live from love each day. After a wake-up call on her birthday led to a radical life revolution, Gemma started teaching others how to design our great life. A life filled with choice, desire, and most important, love. Overcoming difficult obstacles, choosing to show up and face even the most challenging moments, Gemma lives a life that teaches us all we can not only survive, that thrive. Gemma, it is so great to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here.
1: Mm, It's my absolute pleasure, Sarah. Thank you for inviting me.
0: It's such a gift to be sitting down and talking with you today. I am really excited to share the work that you do uh, with listeners. And I want to start right off by asking you, what is writing to you?
1: Mm, Writing to me is is a soulful communication. So it's either my communication with my own soul or my soul's communication with another. It's a way for my my soul to express itself out into the world. But also when I read the writing of others, I feel like I'm really attracted to the writing that gives me a glimpse into the soul of another. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm
0: work is based and comes from love. Your writing, the mentoring and speaking that you do, and also in your sort of uh, tandem life as a psychologist. And I would love to know how you came to that place of living from love and not fear.
1: Mm. Well, it's, it's a bit of a story, <laughs> as we all have our stories. It started off when I was, was really young, and I had some fairly traumatic experiences early in life that seared fear into my cells. And so as I grew up, I became quite afraid of everything, fear, primarily psychological fear, fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of not being good enough, fear of vulnerability, fear of judgment. And I ended up, creating a life that was that was based in fear. So the way that I showed up, the roles that I said yes to, um, the personality that I developed was all about trying to buffer against this deep internal fear that I had. And it was on my 25th birthday when I had everything I thought I should have. I had a few degrees in psychology. I had a really beautiful house. I had a loving partner. I even had a golden retriever, like everything I thought I needed to be happy. And it was on my 25th birthday that I decided the whole day was going to be about love. I wanted to demonstrate this concept of self-love. And I didn't really know what that meant, but I thought it meant champagne and chocolates and a bubble bath and some candles So I went around town and I collected everything that I thought I needed for this day of love. And when I created the scene for myself, I slipped into the bathtub and had the champagne and the chocolates and I felt completely empty. And I looked over at my bathroom sink and I had bottles and bottles of prescription medication lined up in a row that I had been using for most of my life to try to keep the fear away. I'd struggled with depression and anxiety and panic attacks and, um, suicidal ideation for for years and it didn't make sense to me how I had all these you know I had all this training in psychology I had everything that I thought I was supposed to have and yet inside I felt afraid and empty and really like I didn't want to be alive so that mo- <laughs> that, that night in the bath I crumbled like into a hot mess that night and realized and I realized really in that moment that... The source of my suffering was fear. All those fears that I named earlier were ruling my life. And mm. I didn't know a whole lot about, about how to get out of that, but I knew that the answer was love. There was, there was this like deep, soulful knowing, even though I felt like I didn't know my soul at the time, there was a knowing that love was the answer. And so from that day forward, I made my mission love. I made it about how do I create a loving relationship with myself and others and the world. And of course, once I made that declaration, um, opportunities presented themselves that taught me the lessons I needed to learn to choose love over fear.
0: Hmm. That's... It's so hard, I think, when we come to that point of really just having to look at that hard truth mm. and also knowing without any doubt that that's exactly the step that we want to take even though we don't know how or we don't have any clue of where we're going we just know that this is the right step
1: mhm i feel like yeah that like and that first step is often revealed to us like usually in our bodies or that like the intuition or just that that knowing, and then often the mind overrides it and it, and it, and it questions and it doubts and it wonders, how are you going to do that? Um, and I think that cho- one element of choosing love is, is to trust, to trust that first step, even if you don't know how to do it or where it's going to lead you or where the next step is going to be, but just to trust love and take that one baby step forward.
0: Mm. And also I think um, a part of that trusting and especially trusting love and being open in that way is allowing the space for vulnerability
1: mm-hmm.
0: while also trusting vulnerability.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
0: trusting that by opening and being vulnerable that what is on the other end and, and what is in the net below us as we take that step into the unknown is not fear and danger and hardship but really trusting that the next step will be revealed and mm-hmm. that we can take that and be vulnerable there.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I I'll, I feels like the like vulnerability is absolutely like real, like really really powerful practice of loving yourself and loving your life. And I also think there's an element of even if it's hard, it's still like it it's, can still be true, it can still be right, even if there is some pain in the process. I think one of the 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 struggles that I had in the beginning is that I I I, I spiritualized everything and I, I did spiritual bypassing for all of the elements that that are maybe the less comfortable pieces of being human. And one of the things that I've learned about about love. Is that there are moments that it's hard and it's and that there are moments that there are there is still fear and there um, there is still uncertainty and that love can be found even in those more painful moments of being human
0: mm. mm-hmm. one of the things I've been thinking a lot about lately, and I find snippets of to inspire my own thoughts and conversations is. The idea of love as giving versus mm-hmm. love as taking, mm-hmm. and I'd I'd be curious to know your thoughts on that. Yeah.
1: that the line I've never thought about it like that until you until you brought it into my into my awareness. And as soon as you described it, I imagined um, like standing in a room of people and rather than like imagining sort of all of all of their energy coming into me I imagined being in a state of fullness being in a state of love and just kind of glowing essentially and so that when people come into my orbit they receive some love and that was a really powerful image so I wanted to thank you for for bringing that up in me Mm. I think naturally um naturally giving is something that feels good. I think it's, it's felt good to me. So that's a part of what love means to me, but ultimately I think it's really important to dance that line of generosity and not slipping into self sacrifice. And, and that's what I, what I did before is that I thought love was about overextending myself so much that um, I ended up completely depleted. And I think that's, it's a difficult line to navigate of when do you give to yourself and when do you give to others? And ultimately I feel like love, the essence of love is giving. And sometimes that means you give to yourself. And sometimes that means that you give to others. Um, and then of course, there's also like the cycle of reciprocity. I think one of the greatest gifts that you can give to another is actually to receive. Um, and that 's also something that I was quite terrible at previously is it was really, really hard to, for me to receive because I was in such fear, and I learned that in receiving gracefully i'm give I am also giving, and I think the orientation of love is to give mm. is um, there 's so much truth in that mm-hmm.
0: and I think along with self sacrifice, uh, you recently wrote about self-abandonment and Mm. ways of recognizing when you're abandoning yourself. And I think that self-sacrifice is part of that conversation.
1: Yes. Um,
0: And I'm thinking of it for me, specifically when it comes to my writing Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: the ways that um, I show up to my writing or don't show up to my writing, or sacrifice my writing time to give to others, or do things for others, and how that feels in my body and in my energy. Um, and I'd love to hear more about how you came to recognize these um, ways that we might be self-abandoning, and um, some thoughts on how to reorient ourselves.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Self-abandonment. How did I come to that? I had a very thick persona of self-sacrifice and people-pleasing when I was younger to try and protect myself against the things I thought I needed to be afraid of. And so to be completely honest, I just looked back at the younger version of myself and I asked, like, what did I do? What did I do then that... Created all of this, the suffering and the disconnection to my soul, and so the list of the ten things um, really arose from my experience in my younger days, as well as the experience that I notice in my clients. So, the ten things were um, saying yes when you want to say no, engaging in unnecessary drama, um, breaking promises to yourself, settling for less than what you desire, saying mean things to yourself or others. Um, compromising when you want to stay the course, making choices that feel heavy or burdensome, letting fear make the call or numbing out with some type of addiction, whether it's TV or, or sex or drugs. Um, so the first question, or first answer to your question is really it was a self a reflection experiment. And then also pulling in the stories from the people that I, I've worked with Um, And I, the second part of your question, will you repeat the second part? I'm trying to remember what that was.
0: I think really the second part of my question is about, um, you know, like, how can we uh, take the time to really, from a place of love, recognize when we're doing these things, when we're abandoning ourselves and, and shift that?
1: Mm, Yes. I I feel like most of us have a a series of patterns that are fear-based responses. So I think self-reflection and like diving into your soul and recognizing what do I usually do when I'm responding from a place of fear? Um, And one of the things that I I think we develop like a constellation of cues that are reminders of this is a more egoic or fear-based response. So for me... I find that when I'm in a more fear-based response, there are things that happen in my body specifically. Like I start to feel heavy or tight, but there are even more like nuanced responses that I have. My voice will start to get higher. Um, I will not make as much eye contact. I will not be as present because I'll be thinking about either the past of, you know, what did I do wrong in the past or what did I... Um, what what harm came to me in the past and how can I prevent that in the present? Or also, I'll be in anxiety about the future. So what is it about the future that I need to be afraid of and prepared for? And, and then how do I make the decision in order to prepare for something scary in the future? So those are just a few examples of, of my constellation of fear-based responses. And I think it's really important for us, each person to have their own... Set of identifying features so that when you slip into self-abandonment or self-sacrifice or fear-based living, you can recognize it. And I and I don't actually think that there's um, a list that can be applied to every person. I really think this this through life is one of individuality. And then we dance within unity, but really it's about the individual's experience and expression on life. And I feel like knowing your soul and the way that it expresses its abandonment um, is so important to know. I'm trying to think of other ways that I, I'm aware of it. Um, usually chocolate. If I want a piece of dark chocolate, there's there's a pretty good chance I've abandoned myself at some point during mm. the day. Mm -hmm. So all of those, those different ways. Um, So looking for questions like what would love do or how can I let this be easy? Or what's the light answer? Mm. Those are some um, questions that I use to pull myself into awareness around whether I'm abandoning myself or honoring my soul. I'm,
0: I'm curious about the best advice you've ever received.
1: Mm remember to love. It was um, a week after the birthday bubble bath that I shared with you that I met my mentor, Larry. And he was this wise old man that was masterful in the mind. And he was looking for someone to pass his wisdom on to. And thankfully, our paths crossed. And he took me under his wing. And he Over and over and over again, taught me the lesson, remember to love. Mm,
0: That's beautiful. One of the sort of core ideas that you write about and that you share in your mentoring work and your speaking is about living a great life, a life that we love, and I'm really curious if you might share really what living a great life means for you and how you came to this place. Mm -hmm.
1: For me, a great life means that that soul is in the lead. Uh, What I found is when I dove into the world of spirituality or self-help or personal development, I ran into a lot of people cheering on living Living a big life, but it mostly seemed described as um, a million dollars in the bank, fitting into your size two, driving amazing cars, Um, and it it just, there was a piece of it that didn't land, didn't land in my heart. There was, I got, you know, I got caught up in the story of that and the glamour and the desire for it for a few years, and what I found is that that just added to my suffering. It, It continued to reinforce that feeling of, like, I'm not enough. And then even when I would arrive at those things that I thought I wanted, I would feel empty. So it took me a few years of being in that world and then pulling out of that world to realize that a great life is a life that's led by the soul and not the ego. And when we come into this world, we, we come in with our essence. And then as a result of being human, we experience trauma. Um, and then from that trauma, we experience feelings like fear, shame, blame, and guilt, And we feel like we've lost love. And then to cope with that, we develop what I call constructed self or the ego. And the problem is not really that we have an ego. The problem is when we identify and when we allow that to take the lead. And I saw over and over again in myself and and others and my clients that that was the source of suffering. And so I really wanted to toss out the idea into this world that... Possibly a great life is not about what your balance is in your bank account or what kind of car you drive or how sleek your body is, but a great life is one that your soul feels satisfied in. And and I believe a really important component of having a satisfied soul is living from love. Mm -hmm. So a great life is letting your soul take the lead and letting love light the way. Mm Mm-hmm. I'd love it if you might
0: share some of your writing with us.
1: Hmm. Yeah, so I wrote this poem about about my experience in the bathtub in that awakening moment. I used to worry about being big and important and beautiful and loved. I used to want to shine so bright they could see my light on the other side of the world. And every soul seeking a way out of the dark could find its way home. I tried to live life as best I could, to be a good girl full of fake smiles, hiding behind empty eyes. My heart was broken in a million pieces and stitched back together with hope for the future. Until one day, I sunk into my bathtub, having lived a quarter of a century with pills and tears, searching and never finding. There I heard the smallest sound imaginable, a whisper. I felt the smallest movement perceptible, a stirring For the first time, I recognized my soul. It showed me the truth. In trying to shine so bright, I was casting a long, dark shadow over my life. In trying to be loved, I had built my life on a foundation of fear. In trying to gain approval, my ego had kept me hostage.
0: In following the
1: path others had laid for me, I wound up lost and confused. My soul wanted to guide me into my great life, not the biggest life or the brightest life, my life. Not for love, not for approval. My soul awakened me to the possibility that my great life was dying to be born. My soul promised me It would be the greatest love story that has ever been told. The tale of how I learned to love my life. I know you will spend your days as you must for your path is not mine. But please know you already have everything you need to be. And you already have everything you need to have. To live your great life. What your great life is and how you will live it I cannot know. I only know that you must because the world needs your love story in order to be complete.
0: Mm. Thank you. You're welcome. You do a lot of work uh, with individuals, uh, one-on-one and also group experiences, both online and in-person adventures, around creating and designing your great life and the life that you love. And I would love it if you might talk a little bit about what that one-on-one and group mentoring with you might look and feel like.
1: Mm. Ah, oh, yes. The mentoring and the, the one-on-one work. I have, I have two styles of working with people. So because I'm a registered psychologist, I do have more of like a psychological orientation. And in my private practice in Alberta, I do quite a bit of one-on-one in-person psychology work, helping people to heal the past, love the present, and light up the future. One of the things that I found was that I felt quite contained in an uncomfortable way, by just working with people in Alberta, I would often stumble across people that wanted to connect in different ways, and they were outside of Alberta. And because of my my practice, um, I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't offer the service and the support that I really wanted to. So from there, I branched off into mentoring, which has a dash of psychology, because that's necessary. But it's really more about um, providing the guidance and the love and the support to help people connect to the truth of their own soul, and then create um, a strategy to bring that out into the world. So that's the difference between the psychology and then the mentoring. In terms of the group work, I, I really value community. It's one of the things that um, has emerged as a result of this choosing love over fear previously i was terrified of rejection and so i had some social anxiety and i limited myself to just doing one-on-one work because i was afraid of um, serving a big group of people and what i found is that in the evolution of the work that i've been doing the value of doing soul work in community it, ca- it can't be labeled it's it's um, every time i do it it just cracks me open mm. a little bit more with the, how yeah, with the um the awe and the gratitude of what happens when you bring a group of like-minded people together with a similar intention. That it's the the one-on-one work is just magnified in that kind of environment. So I decided to create the Great Life Redesign, which is really about we we're redesigning our life with every choice that we make. And valuing community and courage and consciousness is an element of living a great life so we come together rocky mountains in a castle once a year and we look at the design of our life and we reflect on what our soul most wants and we create a plan that has strategy and soul that will guide us through the following year so that's the great life redesign and then the great life adventure is really about Um, the inner adventure of exploring your soul and the outer adventure of exploring a sacred place and leaving a loving imprint on the lives of the people as well as the country that we visit. So in next year, we're going to be heading to Peru for the Great Life Adventure.
0: And you're also in the process of writing a book about this journey for really sitting down and looking at our lives and designing a life that comes from love and comes from our soul. And I'd love to hear more about the process of writing this book for you and sort of synthesizing all of this work that is very much interpersonal and turning and creating that into a book that you can then put out in the world for others
1: uh I such a beautiful question and I I really haven't spent a whole lot of time thinking about the process of the book it was I have never experienced that um that that sense of divine intervention and that's what this book felt like for me so I wrote the book in a couple of months and just in the evening so my kids would go to bed I would come down light a candle make a make a tea and I would just run through the book and I remember being laid out like flat on my belly with all the words and the papers scattered around me um, with my jiffy markers (laughs) and just writing and scratching and creating and then it it all came together and all of a sudden there was a book. Um, So the process of writing the book was really organic and natural and inspired and in flow and the process of actually getting the book out into the world has has been a little bit more bumpy so the manuscript was done within a few months and then it took me a little while to find the editor that I wanted. I did reflection on you know whether this book wanted to be published um, with a publisher or self-publishing and I got a little bit wrapped up in that world for a little while and ultimately the book was written for very specific people. It was written, it was written for my, for my sister who at the time was really struggling. She was in that dark night of the soul that hadn't ended for about 10 years, and really stuck in fear and in ego and in suffering and in addiction. So I I wrote that book for her. And I also wrote it for the tribe at the Great Life Redesign retreat, who, who had specific questions and wanted more answers. And, and I wrote it for them. And so when I came to this question of do I want to send it out in the world through a publisher or through self publishing? It felt really important to me that the first run of it was as close to the original as it could be. Um, so I had an editor, and now it's with the design team. I got my design back yesterday, and we'll, we'll, it'll be ready to print in um, about six weeks. And it feels like this is the book that I have been trying to write or wanting to write or that my soul needed to write for the last 10 years, it feels like um, in some ways arriving and then other ways just beginning. Mm. Mm -hmm.
0: I'm curious how your background in psychology, both having gone through, you know, a fair amount of schooling and having advanced degrees in psychology and and really studying that has impacted your writing creatively and um, in the way that you express yourself?
1: I felt like I had a lot of unlearning to do. Um, I wrote a, so I wrote a thesis, a master's thesis, and and i wrote you know a lot of wrote a lot of papers through those 8 years and they had to look a specific way and and my language had to be academic and quite precise and cited in a specific way so when i first began blogging my blog had the tone of someone that was fresh out of graduate school it and when i look back at that stuff it, it feels it feels kind of cold um and it doesn't feel like me. I don't recognize who I don't recognize who I was when I was writing that. So the process of um, going through academia and then coming back out into the world and exploring my soul has been really about coming home to myself. And I feel like for the first time, since I was a little girl, in this last year, I feel like my writing is is more about about the soul and the essence of who I am rather than the image that I need to portray in order to fit into the box of my degrees and my profession.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. I think for writers who go through a lot of schooling that isn't like creative writing schooling, Mm -hmm. it can be... uh, a little bit of a, not just a process of self-discovery, but also that moment of, like, um, real vulnerability of, like, I don't have, you know, I, I didn't, I went to school and I have all of this knowledge, but, you know, how is this writing that I'm doing now, like how is it coming out into the world and and how do I trust that this is what I really want to say or how I really want to say it? And I think it comes back to that operating from a place of love and trust to, to say, no, you know, this really is what I need to say and how I need to say it in the world. Um, and I think that's a really important practice to be gentle with ourselves and say, okay, you know, I, I have all this history and this is where I am now. And this is, this is, I can trust that this is really what I meant to be saying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think like that element of trust, I think is, it's so critical, right? Cause that that point that you're at in the moment is exactly where you need to be. And as I look back, like through the different, through the different blog posts, um, While I don't recognize that part of myself, I'm extraordinarily grateful for it because, you know, like I needed to be there. That's where I needed to be in order to be where I am now. And certainly there's a there's a psychological influence to my writing now. There's a depth of like curiosity and inquiry that I I probably was born with, but that was cultivated in graduate school. And there's also a kind of like a devotion to writing even though I wasn't devoted to the soulful expression that I am now I was still devoted to the craft of writing because I I had to get it done in order to put in the papers and get the grades and and earn the degree so there's I think that any type of writing practice that we can do maybe not writing practice let's call it um like soulful expression because for some people I think the soul expresses itself in many ways. And sometimes it's through creating music or art or for you and I, it's about writing. And I think anything that we can do to honor that, that outlet for creative, soulful expression um, is, is important and is worthy of trust. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about your charity work. Um, because I think that this is a, a part of the story that is really important um, and really fills me with uh, a sense of love and light when I, when I think about this work and um, your story around it. Um, would you talk a little bit about what the Great Life Celebration is and why it's so important to you? mm-hmm
1: yeah, so after my first few years of university, I became quite disillusioned and depressed, and so I decided that I was going to go off and save the world and That looked like paddling a dugout canoe up to a remote location in a jungle in Guyana and staying in an Amerindian community for three months. The community was... so gracious and hosted us in their in their little village and one of the things that I noticed as I walked through the village was the skeleton of development projects so schools that were half built wells that were half dug bridges that were half formed and I like I felt so sad that um that these these offerings weren't able to be completed At the same time, the community had dug this well for us to use, and it was just a hole in the ground. And in the beginning, when we arrived, the the hole was full. And over time, with all of us using the water, it just got lower and lower and lower and dirtier and dirtier and dirtier. And by the end of the trip, we were able to use a quarter of a bucket of really silty, muddy water um, per person. And I remember what that was like to drink that water and to. You know, to try to wash my hair in a cup, and it just and just opened something up in me about how much this matters, but more importantly, how much the follow through of it matters. So that's actually how I ended up um, where I'm living right now. Is that I I came to Calgary to study international development, and I was determined that I was gonna I was gonna change, do something meaningful to make to make a change to the system of of charity and of um, philanthropy, especially in these communities that were, um, that didn't have access to what they needed. And it was a few years into my degree that a a psychology professor had suggested that I, that I take a degree in psychology and then go overseas and do something useful. So I switched into psychology and then essentially I lost my way to that, that work that really, really opened me up and really mattered to me. And I was at an event where I I heard Scott, the founder of Charity Water, talking about water and talking about how out of all of the things in the world, all of the problems that we have, water is one of those things that we know how to solve. We have the answer for how to give everyone clean, fresh water in the world, and we just don't have the resources and the creativity, um, and the organization to make it happen. And Scott was a, he was a nightclub promoter when he first started out and he would sell like thousand dollar bottles of champagne and he ended up overseas and realized that one bottle of champagne, $1,000 bottle of champagne could create a well for a community. So he created Charity Water from that. And one of the things I appreciate most about Charity Water is their element of, of follow through. So we have the GPS coordinates for the wells that we've dug as a result of the great life celebration so the Great Life Celebration is really all about how do we live a life we love and make living easier for a community across the world. So we get together and we just we celebrate life. It's a dance. It's fun. There's meaningful conversations and lots of laughter and we have a photo booth. So we really get into celebrating life and it's it's also around my birthday. So it's like one percent about my birthday and ninety nine percent about the celebration. And we also raise money for charity water and we we dig wells. Um, all over the world it's about yeah about celebrating life making life living easier and then as sort of an afterthought it's about my soul's expression in the world is about living love and giving love and I feel like because water has such a powerful impact on how how we're how we live you know whether we spend twelve hours a day gathering water or whether we're others able to spend those those hours in other ways, I feel like it's a really important piece of my soul's work in the world. Mm-hmm.
0: and i I love the way that you bring this together, um, because water really is you know there's this saying that water is life and it really is, and at the same time life is love mm-hmm. and to bring those together um is just really um has always spoken to me and it's um one of the things that i really appreciate about your work and the way that you approach all of these different elements and these different components
1: thank you sarah thank you sometimes it feels scattered to me so i'm i i'm a little bit like shocked and delighted to hear how you wove those together <laughs>
0: Um, well, I'm glad because <laughs> it it to me seems very um it feels very clear um, the way that it comes together, and the way that living with love self love and love for others and really universal love um, in the form of uh, philanthropy and compassion and empathy. They really all come together and they come through so clearly in your work and in your writing. Thank you. I'd love to give you a chance to share some of your wisdom directly with listeners.
1: The last line of the poem that I read is is really speaking to me that the world needs your love story in order to be complete. And the beginning of your love story starts with, having an intimate relationship with your soul and, and trusting that, trusting that over all else, the opinions of others, the desires of others, um, the path that you thought you would walk. The world needs your love story in order to be complete and, and finding the way to have that soulful communication, whether it's through your writing or whether it's through some other creative medium, is one of the greatest gifts that you can give yourself, and also one of the greatest gifts that you can you can give to the world. It's it's an act of love. Writing, expressing your soul is an act of love.
0: Mm, That's beautiful, Gemma. It has been so great to have you on the show. I, I'm just so grateful for the work that you do in this world and the way that you show up and um remind us that it's it's really good to be vulnerable and to to come from a place of love.
1: Thank you, Sarah. It's been it's been pure joy connecting with you and 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 your questions. Thank you for taking us to the depths that you did. I I appreciate you. Um,
0: if listeners want to learn more about you, about working with you and all the projects that you have, they can find out more about you at Gemma Stone. You are listening to In Her Room, women writers on life, craft, and changing the world. I'm your host, Sarah Blackthorne. I'm so glad you're a part of the In Her Room community. Without listeners like you, the show would not be possible. On our website, in-her-room.com, you'll find show notes, learn how to work with me, and have an opportunity to contribute financially to keep In Her Room on the air. Next week on In Her Room, we'll talk with writer, poet, and L.A. native Wendy C. Ortiz. I'm Sarah Blackthorne. Let's tell our stories together.